I'm the doctor, by the way. You're listening to Pieces of Eighth, the Doctor Who podcast that believes when it comes to not listening to the Eighth Doctor. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a and if that's the case, you need absolution. We're on the trail, as ever, of those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord, as played by Paul McGann. I'm Kenny Smith. And I am Tina Peters. You join us as we resume our quest to feature the Eight Doctors' exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, magazines, and more. Look at me, I'm becoming an expert. You are an expert. There's no becoming about <laughs> it. You absolutely are. And of course, for listeners who obviously can't see what's happening, because as soon as you say your name, I'm sort of punching the air and doing that and waving my arms about. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's just what I do. Yeah. And, and um, also, the, the listeners can't see that when we're saying bye-bye, we're both waving like lunatics at each other as well. So, it's yeah. because that's what we do on this podcast. We like to be friendly yeah. and hugging and stuff, which is good. So, yes, um, it's uh, a new audio for us to listen to this week. It's yes. the first podcast interview with the writer Scott Allen Woodard as he was not involved in the CV extras of the official release. So here we get to find out his thoughts on how it all turned out. Um, but of course, when it came to Absolution, you, of course, did this in a run, didn't you, when you first got into The Eighth Doctor? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I listened to everything. I, I think I listened to like three stories a day. So like I listened to every, everything in like one big go and everyone was like, oh, did you like that? And I'm like, honestly, I get them all mixed up now because I listened to so much in such a short time. But I did like this one. I just, I loved it. Like, I love the part like, oh, ancient Gallifreyan technique, go outside and shout. I'm like, oh my God, that's <laughs> all I love. I love that part so much. Yep. I, just, I was just giggling like an idiot while working, while listening to them. So yeah, <laughs> no, I love them. Yeah, brilliant. It's just well, so silly. Yes, I think that's that's what we need, I think. And because um, well, we, well, we'll discuss the story shortly um, as we're mm -hmm. chatting about the monthly range story number 101. So can you get that reading voice of yours ready to tell us all about what the Big Finish website has to say about Absolution, which was released in October 2007? I can. <clears throat> Confession, penis, absolution. The TARDIS breaks down in a forbidden sector of space. Ghostly voices cry out for salvation, and only Kiris, the Doctor's youth companion, can answer their call. For only he knows the secret of the Absolver. But will he use it to rescue his friends or save the universe? The Doctor's sins are catching up with him in the infernal peace. Paroras is hungry. Time is running out and Judgment Day is at hell. Welcome to hell. No, that's creepy. It's uh, yeah, but we'll discuss that in a second. But yeah. before we do, let's it hear the ominous. It, ominous. Oh, there's a very good word. It is. It's ominous. So let's hear the trailer for Absolution, which mm -hmm. was recorded on the 26th and 27th of June 2007. That was just a week after my 33rd birthday. How old were you in then, 2007? Uh, I was uh, 19. Nay. Oh my God! You're such a child. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 
I say that to the people in my chat now. I'm like, no, you're all so young. <laughs> yes, but um, also consider that um, considering that uh, Becca was what she's only 28 and was born in 95. So yes, there's there's how to feel. There you are. There's another one. You can feel older than her, yeah. and I can feel older than you. So we've got a nice yeah. wee circle going yes. there. <laughs> anyway, let's pop on that trailer. <laughs> Absolution. Now. What is this place? A laboratory from the looks of it. The remission of sins granted by a chosen emancipator of the Church of the Foundation. We appear to be standing in the heart of a vast, dimensional probe. An emancipator hand-picked from the Utermason masses and rewarded for obedience and total devotion. I thought I saw something, sir. At the edge of the barrier. One governed by the laws of a timeless universe to which... Should he ever leave it, he may never, ever return. There, look, look. It looks like it's coming this way. Straight. It's one of those black angels. Volanthia, this is blasphemy. You have betrayed our sacred doctrine. Your doctrine, Father, not mine. Switch that off, you murderer. We played God, and it was not our place. Arrive, kill, conquer. That's enough, Keres. Let them go. We're free. Doctor, I can't stop it. Help me. Quickly, Doctor. They're dying. You're losing control. Control of what? The creature. He said I can handle it. He was wrong. No! No! I won't fail! No! No! Welcome to hell. So this is quite an interesting one, isn't it? Considering there's all the sort of the religious aspects to it and all sort of elements of faith. And that, I think because that's something we can all relate to or, or most of us can mm -hmm. relate to, it makes it very, very interesting. I mean, I'm, uh, I was yeah. in the Church of Scotland, so there's an awful lot of, um, I think it's sort of quite a lot of sort of like Catholic imagery with, you know, forgiveness for sins and things like that. And it's quite a... It's, it's very, very interesting just to hear it put into a, a sort of a spacey concept and version of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I like the story. Not everything of it, but uh, the general story I did like. But especially like when you consider that they're so much older as they pretend to be, and they don't immediately realize it in the beginning, and they're just like, the, the way Charlie is like, huh? Like that was weird the way you said that, but yeah, I, it's it's interesting when you think about it that the way they kind of created it themselves and now they're trying to get out of it and yeah, but yeah, I I'm, overall I really like this one not everything because oh, Charlie pissed me off in this one I have to be <laughs> honest, <laughs> but yeah, that's because I'm always on the doctor's side so I'm like no. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's some fantastic things you can imagine happening, like the TARDIS time rotor, instead of that lovely blue sort of turning red and filling up with blood, and then the console room falling apart. And I think it's, mm -hmm. for, a, for an audio story, it is so visual and it's so easy to imagine, particularly I think yes. because of the blood element, that sort of makes it really quite horrific and something we can all understand and relate to. Yeah, yeah, but Big Finish is so excellent at that. They, they do so, like they only give you a little bit, and your imagination just does everything else, and it's so real. All, all at least it is for me because I've got a vivid imagination. But they are so excellent at that, making like painting the picture in your head, and you you can just fully visualize what's going on. And yeah, 
they, they are excellent with basically all their stories. I don't think I've ever heard one where I was like, Neh. no, not not good visualization today. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's just the horror of it, and it's the fact that we've got you know Kara's being separated from the Doctor and Charlie. We know that in the past, mm-hmm. when he's apart from them, he's because of his nature, he's easily influenced by others. And mm-hmm. here we've got Robert Glenister, who's brilliant as Avarish, just tempting him and, you know, sort of playing somewhere between Judas and the devil and just yeah. kind of corrupting him uh, to become yeah, like the devil. Yeah, just in his ear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There, there's, it's, it's very, very well played because, and it is, it does seem natural for Keres, who's sort of had, a, unfortunately, because of his nature, if the doctor's not around, he becomes more doctorish, or he'll be companion to Charlie. And it's just this whole nature mm-hmm. is wonderful. It makes him so just the, so easily corrupted. But of course, in the end, he does come good and and saves his friends. And we get him. We get a companion yeah. death. That must have been a bit of a surprise yeah. the first time you heard it. It was because I was not expecting it whatsoever. I'm like, what? also I. I don't think I realized in the beginning quite that he that that like the realization that he was the bad guy, and I say bad guy between like the yeah, the quote marks. Call them, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was like, oh, he's he's not good, and then oh, he just he. I mean, you kind of. I don't remember exactly what I was thinking, but I do remember that I was I wasn't fully aware that he was. Like putting all the people in the absolver, and then when they like that were all the voices you hear, you well, you heard. But yeah, I was like, ah, he died. I was like, no, did he die? No, yes, no. I was so confused in the beginning, but yeah, I like it when. Well, no, like is a wrong word, but <laughs> I no, I do like it when they dare to kill off companions because it has such an emotional impact when you do. So I'm glad sometimes they take the risk to do that because it always makes for very good storytelling as well. It does. And I think that... Yeah, you get invested. You do, you do. And I think... Because I think because Conrad's, I mean Conrad's a, a friend of mine, and you know I've known him since he started out at Big Finish as Keres, and you know I'm I, Conrad is a as a very dear friend, and we'll hear from him later on, and uh, I love him to bits, and I think. Particularly those last scenes, you just think, oh, poor Keris. He never really had a chance from the moment he left Zone Eutermes all the way back in Creed of the Cromen. By his nature, he was never going to survive in the outside world. And, and you feel so sorry for him. That, and ultimately, yeah. the doctor's the one hindsight. who's responsible. Yeah, well, it is hindsight. That's the but, hindsight, because in the beginning, you throw, you're like, oh, no, they're going to just travel the universe and all is dandy. And the, <laughs> then you get to Absolution, and you're like, oh, oh. Yeah, Keris like, yeah. goes pop, unfortunately, at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I just but that's the thing with hindsight, but now yeah. I yeah. I I do love the oh when like the 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 goodbye with, with uh Charlie. I'm like, oh my god, no, you're breaking my heart. Yeah. It's just a shame because I think that sometimes Keris wasn't written as well as he should have been in some stories something some people got him really well others maybe didn't get him quite so well mm-hmm. and it's just a shame because 
I would love to hear some more, you know, go back and do something else with them now. And, you know, just sort of now that, you I mean, you look at companions like Mel didn't have much to do in TV and Big Finish made her fantastic. And perhaps now we've had that sort of wee bit of time, mm-hmm. it'd be lovely to get a, you know, go back and have another story with Conrad and Keres. But, oh, we can but dream. Yeah, I mean, you, you never know what, what happens because, like, like <laughs> when uh, Charlie came back with uh, the anniversary thing, I don't think a lot of people were expecting that either, so... Yeah, well, fingers crossed that one day, yes. maybe one day. So yeah. yeah, so we've actually got two interviews to go with this week's episode, yes. uh, which we've already mentioned, and we'll kick off with the man who wrote the story. Coming to us from Los Angeles, it's Mr. Scott Allen Woodard. Uh, hi, I'm Scott Woodard, the writer of Absolution, the uh, Paul McGann Eighth Doctor story. Trying to desperately remember what number that it, that was, but uh, that goes back in time, many many years. I originally wrote that in, I believe, 2006. To, uh, to, yeah, I think the first draft was 2006. So we're definitely taking a trip back in time. It was number 101. I've just double, done a very super quick double check. I thought it was, oh, but okay. I just, I've confirmed <laughs> it. So there you go. You're the other side of the hundred. So I suppose first thing first. First memories of the Eighth Doctor, of course, with you being stateside, you'd have got to see the TV movie a good few days before myself and many others in Britain. Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I was at the screening at the Director's Guild. So I, I was I was privileged to be there alongside Paul and, and, and Yiji was there as well. And I'm sure everyone else was there. But uh, yeah, I had a, an invite. It's a funny little side story. Uh, one of my best friends was Stanley's assistant, Stanley of Marvel Comics fame, uh, for the last 20, 20 plus years of his life. And during that time, he had access to a wide variety of pop culture events that would would, would happen here in Hollywood. Uh, by the way, I'm in Los Angeles. And I think, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the invite came to him and Stan said, I don't know anything about this Doctor Who, so he handed it to my friend Mike, and Mike, of course, gave me a call and said, listen, I just got an invite <laughs> to the GGA screening of the new TV movie, and off we went. And um, it was certainly spectacular to see it on the big screen. I mean, despite all it, its many flaws, you know, it, it, I had enjoyed the heck out of it at the time, and it certainly was, was a, a privilege and an honor to be there uh, as I say, alongside the cast members. Um, I mean, I'm trying to remember who else was there. Most everyone, Phil, it's Phil Siegel. Uh, he was there. I chatted with him a little bit. There was a TARDIS, of course, set up, and uh, we had a great time. So, yeah, so that was my first experience uh, with the TV movie. And, of course, when it finally aired on Fox, I watched it from home as well. So I sort of doubled up within a couple of days. I'm super jealous of A, the fact you got to see it at that press screen, and also the fact of the Stan Lee connection. So, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. May he rest in peace, an absolute hero. Indeed. He was quite a character for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then, of course, who'd have thought a few years later, here you would be almost like a decade down the line from the TV movie, getting the chance to write for him. So, what do you remember about the initial approach from Gary? Because, of course, by this point, you've done the juggernauts. Right. Yeah. So, I'm trying. It's a little hazy, but I do know that when a, an opportunity arose for me to write an Eighth Doctor adventure, I leapt at it. And and I, I think at the time, it was pretty wide open, if I remember correctly, uh, as to what the content would be, only that I needed to write Kara's out of the picture. 
and so uh, of, of course yeah as I say I, I, I leapt at the opportunity to write it and immediately immersed myself in everything Keras that I could find and there because there had been quite a few audios that I had not listened to and I, I really really paid attention to the uh, sort of the I think preceding five or even ten stories to make sure I knew exactly what this character was about and I was I was also really really chuffed to write uh, for India because I had actually met her at a convention and I want to say it was Chicago TARDIS some years earlier when she was she had more or less just started and I think Jason sort of dragged her over to Chicago TARDIS and and I I sat in the hotel bar and had a really nice conversation with her about her character of Charlie and thought well you know someday it'd be really neat to write for her and to write for for Paul I could tell you a wonderful side story involving Paul at Chicago TARDIS where we I'm trying I'm trying to remember now if this was during or after the release of Absolution during production I mean but no it must have been prior to that but uh, I was I was dragged along uh, Gary brought me to this dinner and Paul being the raconteur that he is was just regaling us with these wonderful stories about everything he had done in his career and ordering every spectacular bottle of wine he could from this restaurant and the bo- the bottles just kept coming and coming and coming and and we were enjoying them of course and at the end of the night we realized that he was not going to be paying for these bottles <laughs> that he was he was leaving the tab in our lap so uh that was an interesting night where i walked away from a you know three or four hundred dollar meal <laughs> on my own on each one of our parts but um but that was sort of my first up close and uh personal interaction with paul and uh, had a really really nice time and immediately liked him but uh yeah so then of course when absolution came along i loved at it and just thought it would be a really really fun thing to do and and of course when you get the opportunity to write a character out particularly one at the time who was fairly beloved uh in the in, in the shape of Kara's. I really wanted to be the person to do that. So definitely another motivator for me to take, to say yes. Yeah. I think that's, there's a bit of a, it's a bit of prestige attached to that. You know, everybody remembers the stories in which companions leave and particularly in the manner in which they do. And my goodness, it's a, a pretty unforgettable departure for Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the nice thing was that, as I say, at the outset, all I really knew is that I needed to get rid of Kara's. Well, that's, that seemed a little harsh to say. I needed to write him out of the picture. <laughs> and, uh, but I was, I was more or less left to my own devices to do whatever I wanted. And what I really thought was, would be fun was to write something that could never really be filmed, that I could just go bonkers with the, with these vast, uh, horrific, landscapes and giant monsters and and it was a bit of hellraiser and it was a bit of uh commentary on organized religion and it was this stuff inside and outside of the tardis and and just absolutely bonkers stuff that as i think there was even commentary made about the stuff that was in there and how freeing it was to some degree because we could really take advantage of the medium uh, that's why I, I absolutely love writing for audio, and I, I really wish I could do some more of that. Who knows? Maybe someday down the line. But uh, I love how freeing it is, and this was definitely an opportunity to to really stretch stretch the muscles and just just go all out with some some really wild stuff. 
and I think that was one of the things that sort of governed the structure and the writing of the of the uh, the adventure. I mean, this was a 132-page script too. I think at the time that was a pretty substantial one for certainly for me. I know it was a lot. I want to say I'm I'm thinking it was a lot longer than the Juggernauts, and I wrote it with the understanding that it would get probably get trimmed. But it was it was yeah. I really set off to make an epic. Uh, and uh, I hopefully I succeeded. I know I've some people have enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I mean, I think the fact that it's what I particularly like is the fact that it picks up and carries his religious beliefs, and it's something that is a real joy to actually work with that, rather than it just being it's sort of being something. Oh, he just happens to be a monk, or he was a yeah. monk, and then actually we get to learn an awful lot more about his faith and things that with the absolver in there and it's it's just such a wonderful biblical sounding name the absolver oh yeah and yeah. and then of course all hell breaks loose when it's broken literally, literally. yes <laughs> yeah and that, that. That, that was like you know the i what i had noticed and certainly in revisiting some of the stories prior to mine there were little bits and pieces little hints as to where this potentially could go and and that that it was likely that that uh kara's I don't know. He wouldn't wouldn't necessarily wind up being, you know, all sweetness and light in the end. But I think it was also, you know, it was a dis- it was really an exploration about fanaticism to to some degree, and, and as I say, some criticism of of organized religion. I'm not afraid to say that that certainly played heavily on it on the writing of that story. But yeah, and I think there's some. I mean, there's some really really dark stuff in this, <laughs> particularly with um with with the mum having been mutated. And uh, and of course the daughter doesn't know. It's just it's wonderful, wonderful, clever stuff. That you yeah. do, I remember that that's one that really pulls the carpet from under your feet. You think, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was. Um, yeah, I think wow, wow definitely describes it. I'm trying to think. It, it definitely. I obviously wanted to lean more into the horror element as well, as well as being epic uh, in scale and scope. Um, so yeah spectacle yeah and i just the whole idea is hellish creatures i mean it was effectively it was hell brought to life but of yeah. course all caused by the apparent destruction of the tardis which is just that wonderful wonderful imagery of like blood inside the time rotor and and shattering just going everywhere and it's <laughs> you must have had so much fun destroying the tardis like that oh yeah any opportunity to to mess with things that are essentially sacred in the doctor who universe is always a, a delight I mean, any opportunity you have to play with things that are familiar to fans is is a absolute pleasure. It may not please them in the end. It may disturb them. It may upset some of them. But when you can get the criticism, I say criticism, but when you can get commentary from people saying, boy, I really I appreciate the fact that you, you know, you did tear things apart and, and dissect elements of the TARDIS and and break characters down that you that everyone had gotten so enamored of um, I think was uh, rewarding absolutely rewarding Haberesh now there's a character and a half just this oh, yes. corrupting influence a sort of a Lady Macbeth that sort of the voice right. whispering in the ear and taking care as a good man and then just putting these ideas in his head and giving him sort of dreams of power and things like that and just absolutely the devil in the, the voice in the ear and absolutely corrupts Keris completely sure yeah uh, the, a total total corruptor uh, for power I think yeah you nailed it and then of course 
this uh, amazing cast that you're given with some Doctor Who royalty there, particularly with uh, Robert Glennis, sir. Yeah, that was terrific. We're always surprised as writers, obviously, who we're going to get in our casts. I mean, uh, with the juggernauts, we knew. I certainly knew that Terry was going to be, you know, sitting in Davros's chair. But, but yeah, when we, when I started to see the names that were going to be associated with my story, I was absolutely delighted. Yeah, um, it was. They, they really they came through beautifully, and I think everyone just rose to the occasion and delivered some incredible performances. Of course, this script changed a wee bit along the way, didn't it? Because obviously there was a change in production team from when Gary left, and then of course the new production team came in and they've got their own ideas and how they like things. So, mm-hmm. can you maybe tell us about some of the changes that were involved? Whenever you submit your draft, uh, and uh, and I think we went through a few, it, that there does come a point where you start to diverge from your original vision, your original intent, rather, and. It did get to a point where I was getting, I, I recall getting feedback about how they wanted to change some things. And, it, you know, at some point, you can't fight those battles anymore. You're certainly married to that initial draft to some degree, but whenever you write anything creative and you send it off, you know the red pen is going to come out and you know changes are going to happen. And you have to just roll with them and just trust that the the people above you are going to make the right decisions and deliver something that's entertaining. So while they certainly altered things, I think the gist of the original idea is still there and I can still listen to it and know that I that it came out of this this skull <laughs> with a little bit of coaxing from from others, but uh, I'm I'm certainly pleased with what they wound up doing. Going back, let's uh, talk about writing for the regulars. You mentioned, of course, that you'd met India and mm-hmm. you'd met Paul. So did you find that their voices were quite easy to capture? And, of course, Keris as well, with him being the main lead, effectively, in this story? Yeah, I think so. Um, I I think that's one of the things that I love about the TV movie is Paul. I mean, Paul just makes that character... It's come alive. Having been a Doctor Who fan since the <coughs> cough, cough mid mid seventies or so, I had you know I, I had all my favorites, and I and I grew up starting with Pertwee and and saw all these new actors come in and, and, and embrace the character and do their own thing, and I loved what Paul did. And of course, the disappointing thing was that we never got to see another one. Little side story before we go too deep into that. I actually when first heard rumors that they were going to be doing a, uh, a TV movie. Uh, I actually wrote a complete Doctor Who script. <laughs> I wrote a, a, a basically a two-hour pilot and desperately tried to get it in, in front of the right people at the time. It's called The First Move. I have a copy of it over here somewhere. Uh, it was of a completely nebulous doctor. You know, no idea who would possibly play it. But uh, it was probably you know a bit of fan wank but it was I, w- I was delighted to see what they did eventually come up with and as i say paul really really just did an incredible job as as the eighth doctor still continues to do a wonderful job as the eighth doctor and his voice writing for him was an absolute pleasure in fact after i had done the absolution i really really wanted to revisit Paul and write some more uh, Eighth Doctor stories, but never had the opportunity to do that. Uh, in the case of yeah, Charlie and Kara's, I think they had done equally as, as good a job establishing their characters through the plays that they had already done. 
And since I immersed myself in those, it was uh, really easy for me to nail their voices. Uh, Charlie especially, because I had been listening to her since, since uh, oh gosh, what was the name of her first story? Um, Storm Morning. That's that Storm Morning. I've got it on CD right over here. So yeah, so I had been listening to her for quite a long time, and, and I just knew that character inside and out. And uh, yeah, well, it was a little more challenging with Kara's because I hadn't followed all of the Kara's storyline prior to that, just sampling a little bit of it before I wrote my script. And I knew exactly what that character was like. So no problems. Onrad brings so much charm to the part as well. I think that yeah. he's, he's just one of those naturally effortlessly charming people in life who you come across. And I'm not just saying that because he's a friend, but he's just, <laughs> he just, he makes Kara's likable. Even in the, even in the, the, the most horrible moments, and particularly with what you did, you swine, uh, he still has that, he's still got that charm to him, sort of like, you know, there's a good man in there and it's, and he's been absolutely mentally tortured and put through the ringer. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's something that just, always impressed me the fact that you took him to such dark places and and at the end of the good man is still there and fights back for the doctor and charlie yeah and then that was the thing of course from the outset another writer doing the story writing out caras might have just gone full ahead with embracing him as the or presenting him rather as the as the villain and that was certainly not my intention i wanted to show how just the powers of the universe around him and his own personal journey had in a sense corrupted him but i think it's it's the kind of thing that can affect anyone you go too deep into your beliefs and you can be corrupted you can be turned into something you don't necessarily want to be but you feel compelled to be and i think that was one of the things that really guided Karis's direction towards the end yeah, and I think the fact that what you did with him was you've got this character who should never have left his home. That's the bottom line because yeah. with when he entered our universe, all these outside influences with his personality and the way he's been created just he absorbs everything around him. And he's just like, this is a character who should never have left the Divergent universe. And ultimately, what happened is, in many ways, it's the Doctor's fault for. For you know, for taking him along when he should probably, he probably if he'd know, I suppose he didn't really know what uh, was going on in many ways. But oh, it's it's a painful, painful ending, literally for Keres, of course. Of course, yeah. And it's interesting. I, I revisited uh, a draft of my script prior to doing this chat with you. I noticed that very early on, I have some discussion uh, between Keres and Charlie about Keres's home. And how wondering if he's if he misses it, and and so I sort of set that up right early on that this is this really is the most important part of the story, is that he should like you said he should never have left home. So listening to it for the first time, that must have been a real thrill because I'd imagine you didn't make it over for the recording. Not for that one. No, I did go over for Juggernauts. And of course, I went. You know, I was in the studio for the Dark Shadow story that I wrote, but that was a. They did that one just down the road. <laughs> um, but I did fly over for for the Juggernauts. Did not make the trip over for Absolution. So yes, it was a complete surprise, uh, which was fun because I got to actually listen to it as a as a Doctor Who fan. It it can be tough. I don't tend to like to revisit my work. I do a lot of writing, and in various other areas and fields, and uh, oftentimes. Once the, once I deliver the the manuscript, step away and 
just, just move on to the next thing and trust that whoever has it in their hands is going to make something good out of it. But, but yeah, I mean, that was when I got that CD. Of course, this is back in the days when you'd get a CD. <laughs> <laughs> I popped that sucker in and, and sat down and just, as I say, enjoyed it as a fan. And of course, a few things made me cringe, but it was more, you know, as, a, as the, the artist and the incredibly critical artist at that. And it's a glorious cover and fantastic soundtrack to it as well. Just really brought to life all those shades of hell. And the cover is just absolutely something out of uh, Dante's Inferno, that sort of look, those those colours and everything. Oh, yeah, it really pops. And yeah, I think that was that was a perfect choice for for designing that cover. Yeah. So how do you look back on it now, the whole experience? It's, I think obviously with... As you said, there were some changes along the way, but you, you can listen to it now, or you could listen to it now if you wanted to, given what you just said about not yeah. liking you to hear it. But it's something that I think you should be justifiably proud of. I, I am. I mean, I'm absolutely proud of everything that I wrote for Big Finish. And I, I've had, over the years, plenty of fans come to me and say that they really enjoyed it. And that's all that matters to me. Um, if I can have positive feedback about my work, from from real diehard fans and whether they're big Finnish fans or Doctor Who fans or both or just fans of good storytelling um, if they can come and tell me that they enjoyed what I did that's the most rewarding thing and so I'm very proud of it I think it was uh, it was definitely a interesting an interesting story to go out on for for my own part my own involvement with Doctor Who because once uh, once Gary stepped away you know that was that was more or less it for for my run but you know four audio adventures from this American and LA based American that's not a bad bad run it definitely isn't but of course something that um, I would like to mention is that of course because it's fair to say that you are a science fiction fan and of course something we were chatting about on Facebook the other day um, is the fact that you are a man who has to live through hell at home because of your wife. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share about that. So, yeah, my wife and I, just really quick little backstory, we both met working in the special effects industry, practical effects uh, film. And while I drifted out of that after a little while and went off to write great things for Warner Brothers and Disney, she remained in the effects industry and does that to this day. So she works on a wide variety of pretty well-known projects, <laughs> doing creature suit fabrication and puppets and puppet fabrication and puppeteering and suit performance uh, on things, little known things like the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett and, you know, stuff that you've never heard. <laughs> really obscure. But, yeah. M you know, movies in the Marvel cinematic universe and, you know, just that kind of thing. So yeah, I, um, I, I live in a, a, a state of, perpetual frustration because she signs all these really hearty non-disclosure agreements i mean it's disney and and what else are you going to do so when she signs that stuff doesn't matter how many bamboo shoots i try to insert under the fingernails i am not getting anything out of her and a little fun little note side story but i think it was at the end of season two of the mandalorian i had heard hints that mark hamill was going to be on set so that was already established and sort of when I saw Luke Skywalker, I got all excited. But when R2-D2 rolled in the scene and I did not know this and the tears streamed down my face 
that was I turned to her and I said how could you not tell me that but I thanked her for not telling me that so yes uh, it is frustrating but uh, I'm really really proud of the fact that she works on these incredible shows and and uh, she's yeah she's in her sci-fi universe and I remain over at mine as well and yeah, we occasionally run into each other in the, in the middle somewhere in the vortex <laughs> So we give her a quick name check so people can look up her IMDb. Yes, uh, yeah, it's a uh, Tamara Carlson or Tamara Carlson Woodard. Her middle name is Gail, and sometimes that shows up in credits. But so yeah, you can look those up. She has more credits to her name than <laughs> several of us would have in a large group. But uh, yeah, she's been working on in film and TV for many many years. Yeah, I have to say, when you sent me that list, it was like, oh my god, it just like. <laughs> You just have a living hell unintentionally, of course, uh, because of her work, because you'd be itching to ask, but you can't ask. And it's just one of those, oh, no. It's, yeah, because I was chatting to somebody recently for an episode of this, and I believe they're working on some Doctor Who project that uh, that they can't talk about uh, for the telly. And it was, it's, but obviously, because I respect people, I'm not going to go and, oh, tell me more, tell me more. You, just, no, no, that's it. It's just <laughs> NDA end of the line to just enjoy it because you know that there's a good reason for it so oh yeah absolutely i mean the one nice really really nice thing is i i'm privileged to some of the best exclusive commentary when we watch the shows that no one else gets to enjoy so she, she'll tell me how certain things went down and you know what goofs happen all of all that kind of stuff so the behind the scenes live commentary on these shows is fantastic Scott, i've got one word for you podcast <laughs> I'd listen. Well, you know, I had one. I had four actually at one point. That's a, that's a whole other story for another time. But yes. um, <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, I, I, I co-produced and co-hosted about four different pop culture podca podcasts some years ago. And it, we covered everything from Doctor Who. Uh, we actually had a Doctor Who podcast for a little while, and we did a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, and we did a horror podcast, and we did a pop culture sort of general podcast, but it all fell apart after a while. But no. We did a few few hundred episodes. Impressive. Many well, of I, them are online. <laughs> yeah, well, I do two. I do Pieces of Eighth and another one, The Power of Three, which is more general Doctor Who one, but oh my God, yes. The, the time required to put everything together and finding it and... But Scott, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed it. A good laugh and oh, some great insights. So thank you again. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks for bringing me on. So we've got a very international episode this week, haven't we? We've got me, a Belgian, you, a Scotsman, Scots, an American, and I think we've got an Englishman coming up next. We do. We're going to hear from Conrad, who, of course, played Keras for the last time ever in this story mm -hmm. so no so with a lot of regret well actually we should point out conrad is alive and well in real life and he is not carers yes. so it's not like we're suddenly phoning you hey carers talk to us just before you die <laughs> no we're talking to the actor the lovely man who is yeah. conrad westmas and uh, he's going to chat to us now Hello, Kenny. It's your old friend Conrad here. I think we go back 20 years, me and you, uh, from back in the days of Big Finish. So, yes, I'm Conrad Westmus and I played Kerry's back in the day. And here we are, still talking about him now. Exactly. Who'd have thought all those years ago that you hear you'd be a fifth of a century later, still chatting to me about him. Some things change, but others don't. And we still at least both, we both have the same hairstyle. Yes, absolutely. Yes, very much. <laughs> 
Yes, I have the same haircut as you. It is it is the only haircut, I think. It's just the full the full shave, the full cue ball. It's yeah. it's a beautiful way to be. Exactly. And it means that but, we don't we we can't be embarrassed by bad haircut photos. No. And you know, in and out of the shower in a second is the only way to go. I thoroughly recommend this haircut. Exactly. So yeah, we're back for uh, another wee chat and we've been we chatted previously ages and ages and ages ago about uh, right at the start of your journey when you did Living Legend and here we are today oh, we're yeah. having a chat right at the end of it yeah absolutely the end of days for Kerry's yeah I can um, I remember the thing I remember most about coming to the studio for this one is that it was just felt very very different because it had been a long gap I think it was about two years since we'd last done the previous one memory lane and I think for me the start of the journey which was actually recording Omega with Peter Davison but from then right through to memory lane sort of just feels like one big long blur it feels like we were always recording something we were always recording something or something was about to come out so it kind of felt like a real treadmill with you know conventions and stuff as well um and then, yeah, to have a sort of two-year break. And I think also, obviously, the, the new series, as we then called it, uh, was back on TV. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think I had any expectation, necessarily, that there was going to be another one. So I think this felt quite different because I don't necessarily think I was expecting to come back into the studio. So it all felt quite new. You could almost say feels different this time. Feels different this time, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very much like that because we didn't necessarily know we were ever doing another one. I, I, I remember. I remember being very glad, sort of, kind of surprised, just pleasantly surprised that I was that Carries was getting a, a proper send off. But I was kind of relieved because I felt like it needed to end properly. I'd rather have had that than it just sort of fizzle. And I remember when we were back in Bristol. I remember Gary Russell. We were talking about this ending quite early on. And I remember Gary's Gary saying his vision of it was he just had a few sort of images in his head and he said he wanted the TARDIS turning into some sort of hellscape. I think he said the Fendal, it was actually going to be the Fendal uh, possessed the TARDIS. And I thought, oh, that's exciting. And I know he had this image of the time rotor filling up with blood. I, I just rem- I remember, you know, I, so they're such vivid images. I still remember that conversation in the bar. So I think I knew that Gary had this. I think he, I think he referenced Hellraiser as well. He wanted some sort of Hellraisery vibe about it. Um, so yeah, that. So yeah, that was seeded. I, I know he was he was sort of having those those ideas very early on. So I knew there was a sort of end game to it. But like I said at the time, I kind of thought, you know, everything had changed. We we were then, you know, the, the Divergent Universe thing got cut short obviously because we were uh, the new series was on um so so, so the plans are generally very changed very much changed so i wasn't necessarily expecting to do ever see this finale so i was very glad of it when it, when it came around it must have been this really bizarre knowing that pretty much from the start point gary had your well, not your i do know that you're a comrade you're not carers had <laughs> the, the journey plotted out for carers from start to finish because he knew that you were always he was always going to die yeah and i think um like india always described it with charlie as well because it was all part of the web of time and you know there's a place for her on the r101 anytime you like and she always described it as the sword of damocles hanging over our heads um <laughs> anytime gary anytime we were misbehaving you know gary could just look at us and we both knew that he had our, our fate 
<laughs> our fates were in his hands our fates are always in Gary Russell's hands um, <laughs> yeah I suppose turning up in studio that's a rather good cast and I'm, I'm underplaying that there with people like Christopher Villiers and Robert Glenister there and Jeff Breton as well Natalie Mendoza fantastic and Tony Barton not a bad mix yeah not too shabby very excited about that I think Barnaby Edwards who directed this one I'd, I'd never it was the first one I'd never worked with him before and it was the first one the one he directed um, and so yeah and they all Big Finish are definitely some of the cracking cast for this one there's a few things that is funny when you you actually said oh would you want to come to Absolution first thing I could hear was Natalie Man- Mendoza's sort of devil harpy thing creature because she played Lalanthia the daughter and, you know just absolutely beautiful it's kind of like a bit of a Shakespearean daughter is what it sounds like but I remember she also played this winged harpy demon creature and I can still hear that scream today this kind of high-pitched scream the thing we all just have to come slightly take your cans off and go wow that's loud oh it's brilliant when someone comes in and goes the full monster it's it's always a joy so she was she was amazing yeah and jeff breton is a sweetie as well he's a young you know young actor but gosh she went on to do loads of stuff and i remember seeing him and I, I went to see a play and then he just walked out on stage and i was very happy to see him but yeah i mean i think with a lot of Kerry's stories um he because he was so susceptible to other influences and also there was a you know it's a three tardis crew the doctor charlie and Kerry, so you've got to split them up so it was often Kerry's who would end up <laughs> you know, falling under the influence of of some of somebody, and so I often got used to having to to you know just. But it was always very interesting because because he would always he would be very easily swayed, easily influenced, and 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 you always had to slightly he, make sure you slightly turned Kerry's into them a bit. You know, you needed to be able to hear that he was being influenced by them somehow, so gradually he would just sort of become a little bit more like them and so what a treat the puppet master of this one was Robert Glenister who I remember from Sink or Swim the uh, sitcom he did with Peter Davison way back in the day and then of course a Salatine I was very very excited there's a really cool photo I saw in the CD of uh, I think Barnaby took all the photos really cool picture of me and then they've got Robert Glenister just behind me looking super evil but he was brilliant like quite a cool dude he's not like he wasn't too showy he wasn't too sort of you know he has a pretty sort of relaxed cool guy but i really really liked working with him and he sort of embraced the whole mad sci-fi world a bit uh, i think he really enjoyed that and i think he really enjoyed playing someone who sort of sounds good and then of course turns the full evil so yeah brilliant but i think when listening to it again the other day i just thought you're having a absolute ball getting the chance to to go to do the full evil and turn it up to 11 as well yeah Kerry's gets to do that as well yeah it was funny I, again I had to re-listen to it to remember it but um, yeah I was quite surprised when Kerry's turns the full devil and they, obviously they put a bit, of a bit of a sound effect on the voice but yeah it was really not and, and I think you know for a companion a companion departure story you know you want to be able to do a lot of stuff and be put through the ringer and yeah, I mean, to turn to the devil, that's pretty marvellous. And so it was really nice in my sort of penultimate scene to be able to face off against Paul in India. And I'm, you know, the full the full, de- the full devil. That was wonder- really, really wonderful. And then, then it starts to switch suddenly back as he meets his final end. So it's really nice to have some big gear changes 
Yeah, I, mean, exactly. I, I find that really difficult to listen to, you know, Kerry's going evil because, I mean, as you said, we've known each other for so long and been friends for so long. And it's, you know, it's up to hear this character who I love and to hear your voice suddenly going all nasty and horrible. And I found it quite awful to listen to. Just like, no, this isn't my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got, I've got many sides to me. <laughs> no. no, but it's, 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 it genuinely it is really, really nice because often, you know, characters would be, as I said, he'd be influenced and often led astray and he you know there was often times he would sort of either get slightly hypnotized or possessed but this was something different you know this is a full transformation his body changes and he he it, this was a really big one I, I i was very grateful for that that they they gave me you know good meaty stuff to do in my, my final story i think that's 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 very generous I mean, i've just actually realized and i should have mentioned this when i was speaking to scott that in some ways it's almost like the parallel with Lida, who obviously had her body was mutated before she died, and here we've got Keris's body being mutated before he departs yeah, as well. Yeah, do you know what? I hadn't thought of that, but actually that is a really neat bookend, yeah. Gosh, I've never thought of that. How funny. Yeah. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And, uh, you know, he mentions Lida when he's, you know, actually the Doctor mentions her when Keris is dying and stuff. So yeah, that, that ties up That ties up pretty neatly. Um, yeah, there's yeah. A, a, nice, a nice symmetry there, which is... Yeah. I suppose, again, going into the studio knowing it was the last time I mean, you mentioned that it was a bit of a bonus, but also there must have been a bit of a sadness as well, given how, how much you love working with India, especially. Yeah, that was, I mean, yeah, of course, it was it was bittersweet. Yeah, on the one hand, I was very grateful to get a send-off at all, but yeah, it is a, it is a, it was a sort of final chapter for it. It was sad, and... I, I, I vividly remember looking at doing our last scene, you know, because I'm there sort of hunched over my script trying to make, you know, ring every, make sure that this last, you know, that the death scene is really good. I remember looking up and seeing Indian, she had tears streaming down her face when she was doing it. And she's banging out. She's so good. She is so good. My God, she's good. And yeah, yeah, there, there was a sense that it was a bit bittersweet, but I don't know. You, you I think, yeah, I, overall, I was just grateful that, that it had an ending at all. And it's like, you know, it being, I, being a Doctor Who companion was beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah, I just, I think I just felt felt very grateful. Yeah, it was, it's just the amazing thing, I suppose that's the thing. You're an actor, you've worked in Doctor Who magazine as, as, as assistant editor, and yeah. then you get to go and get, you get the full promotion to do the companion malarkey, and you get a memorable departure as well. Yeah, it'd been such an unexpected sort of journey because I hadn't, I hadn't like set my heart on, you know, I knew I was going to be an actor and stuff, but I didn't, I never imagined being on, being in a big finish wasn't on my radio, radar at all. I don't think I'd really heard many of them. So it wasn't really, it wasn't a deliberate thing at all. It was a series of sort of happy accidents. So yeah, I, I was in Doctor Who magazine for about six months. Um, and I think as a bit of a leaving present, they gave me a part on, uh, the Peter Davison audio Omega, and I was like, brilliant, I'm in Doctor Who for one day, all my dreams come true, happy as a clam. And then totally unexpectedly, you know, just it's just timing, isn't it? It's um Gary, yeah, just phoned me up and said, Would you like to uh be the new companion for the eighth doctor? So that's just quite bizarre. And like I said, from then on it was like a, a treadmill. It just kind of zoomed it just zoomed in a blur of like studios and conventions and fun. And then yeah, like I said, a two year break and and yeah, nice to come back and finish it off. Bittersweet but nice. 
and I think one of the nice things about this story is that it has, it's such an unusual, strange world, this kind of infernal, I think the Doctor describes it as Boschian, Hieronymus Boschian. And one th- one, I think one thing that's great about the story is like, I love the music and I love the sound design. There's this very strange kind of like radio tuner sound in it, which is like some weird frequency, which I think is just somehow fits because there's a lot of psychic stuff going on in this. There's lots of these weird kind of, I don't know, these kind of, unearthly kind of choral stuff it's got a good a good kind of mythic rich feel to it so I thought Simon Robinson did an absolutely fantastic job of the music and sound design on this one which which just always helps sells it yeah it feels medieval medieval yeah it does actually yeah you're absolutely right it does yeah really nice sound to it which really helps all in all let's go with the the question that fans always like to know what was your favourite story oh <sighs> Apart from this one, of course, sorry, because Scott, we know, will be listening, and we know you. <laughs> you mentioned yeah, you enjoyed no, this one. No, this was this was an absolute banging send off. I think, I think, and it was nice to do something mystical as well, because we didn't often do like we did lots of different types of stories, but we never really did a good, a full on sort of you know lots of superstition and mythical and mysticals so in, in infernal. So I really love this one. I think my favourite. Do you know what the first one that came into my head was Faith Stealer, and I think that i think that's my i think that was one of my favorites certainly to do it was so funny and i think paul and india and i always quite liked the funny ones as well but it it just very clever very funny but again it put carries through the ringer and he got i got to lots of stuff and you know get possessed and it's just very very funny about religion and uh so yeah i think okay face dealer there you go okay carries be praised (laughs) yes exactly and yes yes exactly the uh the Church of Whoops and all of that kind of stuff with John Dorney coming in and like I said that, that I, I was that story should be called Show Stealer because that is just John Dorney coming in and completely stealing the show from, in like one scene uh, but yeah Face Stealer I think is my favourite yeah and of course the good thing is that you've met up you, obviously you, you live quite near India now and mm-hmm. you're in touch with her and I know that um, you've spoken with Paul on a Zoom which you did a fan thing uh, in lockdown time so it's nice you've sort of maintained that contact even from the periphery yeah definitely it's funny because it's such a it's such an odd experience because like most acting you know as we all know Doctor Who is just is like no other job on earth that so we're you know actors you do you, you do a play it's very intense or you do a play or a, or a film or a tv or whatever and it's very intense for days weeks maybe months if you're lucky and then you all just go off your separate ways everyone goes yeah yeah we'll keep in touch and then 90 percent of the time you never do um but yeah india and i have, have stayed we were like we always hit it off and uh, yeah we've stayed friends we're lucky we live near each other and and as you said in lockdown it was really nice to see the three of well, the three of us got to be invited to do a, an online convention and it was just so nice to <laughs> to see just to be the three of us again because you, you've been through such a mad experience that only you really know like uh, i'm sure all the doctors and companions feel like that but even within that like us three we just had a you know we were locked (laughs) locked in a studio for days and days on end you know and and the the guest cast would obviously change but the three of us would would stay so we have sort of it's very intensive so you you go through a lot of stuff together so they'll all whatever happens you'll always have that 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 extraordinary memory We'll always have the Mort Conrad. Yeah, and Christchurch and all the other mad places we recorded. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Happy times. Yeah, you know, I'm a, a, a happy times and places and always very grateful for that. 
Conrad, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your memories again. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, let's do lunch very soon. Oh, Kenny, let's. Thanks so much, man. Thanks to Scott and, of course, Conrad for the time in bringing this week's episode to life. Remember, if you've enjoyed today's pieces of eight or indeed liked any episode we've done, please do leave a review for us on iTunes or with your podcast provider, as it means more people can find our episodes, which would be rather nice, wouldn't it? It would, because, you know, of all the episodes we've done so far, and I'm just having a quick look as we chat live, so far we've had um, more than 27,000 listens to all of our episodes so far, so that's not bad at all. That's what, across what 100 and Whoa. 110 that, episodes. That sounds insanely like. much to me, but <laughs> it's good. It's good, and they keep growing. I mean, it's, it's worth a listen. It's good, and it's about doctor, so listen to it anyway. Exactly, and it's. Um, I mean, I, I have to admit, I do. I like to record these episodes. You know, once these episodes are all recorded and edited, I'll usually come back to them a couple of weeks later when they've all been finished, and then listen to them again and uh, enjoy them. But I'm usually out on my walk. And you tend to listen when you're at work, don't you? Yeah, I listen because I, I have my own company and I listen to a lot of things while working because I have ADHD and I cannot for the life of me sit still and listen to audios because the, oh, I tried. I, I, I cannot. I cannot do it. So while I'm working, it's a perfect opportunity for me to listen to podcasts or Big Finish or audiobooks or basically anything. So yeah, I tend to listen to them on Friday during work. Excellent. Although I'm, listening to myself, the episode, that was so weird. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I hate myself. <laughs> oh, don't be like that. You've now, this is your fourth one and all is good. Yeah, but still, it's weird listening to yourself. <laughs> oh, well, I've done, well, I've been on all of our 110 plus episodes so far. So yes, it is interesting when you hear yourself back and think, oh, did mm-hmm. I really say that? Oh, well. Oh, well, it's out there. It's done. It's fine. And do you want to give your work a little plug? And if if anybody's wanting to buy a particular product, where should they come, Tina? Uh, To, oh my God, let me think how to, uh, to, well, we have our own uh, website, but I honestly don't think I can spell it out because it is is in Dutch (laughs) and people will be like, what? And I, I had to spell my name the other day in English and I had to think about all the letters in English and then I'm like, how is this so hard to spell your name in English? So yeah, <laughs> just find me on Facebook and go from there. It might be easier. Yes, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. And talking of uh, finding people online, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Pieces of Eight. I think we may have to look at a Threads thing since uh, that's been going quite oh, well so I heard, far. Yeah, not not in Europe to be fair. We no. can watch it, but we cannot participate yet. I've seen it. Interesting. Well, I've got my own one. I'm still at finished zine. I even changed my Instagram so it matches up with my Twitter. Do you know that previously my, because I only ever put photos from my walks on it, I had mm-hmm. Zagreus sits inside your head was my username on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of long. So uh, that's now changed to become finished zine as well. So well, it's I haven't sort of, seen that yet that you changed it. Yeah, I only did it yesterday. So you'll... Uh, ah, that's why I haven't seen it. There you go. So well, no. I deleted Twitter ages ago. It just like no, it it went downhill when Elon bought it. So I'm just like no, thank you. Yeah. Oh well, sorry, Elon. A lot of people are going to be 
making their way to Threads. But um, also we have yeah. uh, Talking of Threads, which is owned by the Meta Group. Uh, they also own Facebook. How is that for a seamless link? Um, so feel free <laughs> to join our Facebook group and send a request to join it. And you can find out things we've got coming up as well as general chit chat. And um, yes, even though this was meant to be a 13 episode season, we're going to be back next week and be having a chat with Stephen Gallagher about his new adventure for the Eighth Doctor, which is just a little short one and it features at the end of the new novelisation for Warrior's Gate and it's called The Little Book of Fate. In fact, I'm just going to go over and get it here. It's on the shelf because um, I got sent some review copies, so these should be in the shops now. So will you be picking up this one, Tina? It's got um, 11 pages of The Eighth Doctor at the end. I think 231. To... Oh no, it's I mean, 17, 18 pages. I'm always happy with more books, so yeah. Books, yep. yes. So it's Warrior's Gate and Beyond, and uh, yeah, the last 18 pages are a little short story. Uh, yeah, you can't see it, but uh, Kenny is showing it me to me on the zoom right now so i am looking at the book right now yeah before it's in the shops so yes it's uh interesting and uh, if you want to find out more about uh, warriors gate we had a chat with stephen gallagher about it a few weeks ago on the power of three there's a for some how's that for some cross podcast mentioning yes. so there we go anyway we'll be back next week with a chat about that so until next time i've been kenny smith and i was still a bye bye bye